Last week we looked at uh, verse Romans verse 18, and, and uh, on that note, I, I must confess that I, uh, I totally dropped the ball on uh, that one in the sense that when I did the devotion last week in Romans, I, the devotion was on Romans 8.18. I had it in my mind that we were only looking at Romans 8.18. And unfortunately, when I was compiling all of my notes, and I, I like to study a lot, and I'll put all these notes together, and then as they take shape, and, and you kind of say, okay, well, we can't cover all that. I, 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 I had in my mind that we were going to cover Romans 1.8.18. 1, 1, Romans 1, unfortunately, on the notes, they said 18 through 30. And my intention was only ever to cover verse 18, and yet the notes said 18 through 30. No way we can cover verses 18 through 30 of Romans 8 in one, in one sermon. Y'all, I think y'all know me better than that. I think it would be naive to expect more than that. Um, and, and when I didn't realize I had done that until people started asking me questions about Romans 8, 26 through 28, and then I got a couple emails, and I'm thinking, I mean, I love to talk about the Word, but we haven't even gotten to these verses yet. Give me time, give me time. And then Doug Gilcrease came by, and we were chatting, and he said something, and I was like, well, the notes said 18. I looked at him, uh, humble pie, the notes say 18 through 30. And so, um, you know, my mistake, Jeremiah 10, 14, all men are stupid, devoid of knowledge. So uh, forgive me for that. Uh, I wish I could say I was smart enough that I did that on purpose so that you could groan all week. I'm not that smart. Um, uh, some of you were groaning because we had covered so much material supposedly in one sermon and left off some. Some of you are now groaning because you thought we had covered a lot of material and we didn't. So you're like, man, I thought he finally got the clue to cover some ground. Get out of Romans. Well, not so fast, not so fast. And so uh, I will say I am grateful uh, for a people that long to study the word, for a people that uh, we're willing to call and say, hey, I got a question about this, and hey, can you talk to me about this? And um, I want us to be like the Bereans in Acts who, who study the Word and who will not allow us to glaze over or gloss over quickly. Um, I mean, 26 through 27 is an amazing passage that we'll look at. 28 through 30, an amazing passage. And to think that I would, uh, my mistake, we're definitely not covering all of that in, in one week. It, it does tie together. It, uh, uh, this section, even today, what we look at, and I will be clear, for the record, we are covering 19 through 25. 19 through 25. I don't care what the notes say. We're covering 19 through 25 today uh, of Romans 8. And so, um, again, this section, again, is affirming the assurance that we have as believers, no matter what we face. Last week, we looked at verse 18, for I... Consider that the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. We're not yet fully what we will be one day. We've been adopted. The promise is secure. The inheritance, Peter says, is undefiled. It is secure. Yet we do not have all the privileges yet, all the glory yet that we will have. And what we see today, sin, sin has marred God's creation. It has corrupted it. And what we see today, you'll see as your main point, 
Sin has corrupted every aspect of God's creation, and all of God's creation longs to be, here's the word, set free from this corruption. Even God's non-human aspects of creation long to be set free from sin and its consequences. Longs to be redeemed, longs to be restored to its original uh, creation. When, when God in Genesis said it's good, it's good. And so what we see here is the longing. And, and that's what we, we hinted at last week. The reason why we need patient fortitude, as we said last week, is because, again, all of creation longs for the redemption of God's people. We long to be, to be rid of this sin nature and its effects. And what we see beginning in verses 19 through 22, uh, you see it there on your handout, point one, creation groans. See this picture of creation groaning as it waits for the future transformation, the revealing of God. You see that, you see that in, the, in the word for there at the beginning of verse 19. Even creation longs for God's people to be glorified, to be for that redemption to come, for that, for that future transformation that comes. And, and this stems, just like us as hu humans, we, we have that sense of frustration, we said, of that already not yet aspect. We have been adopted, yes. We have been redeemed, yes. But we don't get the full benefits of that yet. We still struggle with the effects of sin. We still battle with sin. There is yet still sin in our... We wage war with the sin, that, that, that remaining sin that battles with our flesh that we saw in Romans 7. We're not yet what we will be one day fully. And, and creation, what Paul is saying, that even creation yearns for this transformation, even creation, in a sense, yearns, saying, when are we going to be there? Are we there yet? <clears throat> and look what it says in 19. The anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God, for creation. You know, they're, they're, they can't wait. The word picture there, it's a really neat picture. It's the picture of a person extending or craning their neck to see what's coming. I am, I am vertically challenged, so in, in pretty much any environment above fifth grade, I've got to stand on my tippy toes and crane my neck to look over the crowd, all right? That's the picture of what is saying, you can't wait, you're looking, when is it coming? When's it coming? If you've ever been to a parade and you, you, you know that it's coming, the parade is coming and you're looking, you're waiting, where's the beginning of the parade? That's the picture of creation here. Literally, creation can't wait to see what's coming next. Can't wait for the redemption of God's sons. And, and that's a picture of, of what we said last week with patient fortitude. That's a picture throughout the Bible of not only creation, but that's how God's people are to be waiting. That's why we said last week, patient fortitude, looking, mindful, can't wait for the return of your king. And when Paul says creation here, again, he's referring in 19 through 22 really to the non-human elements, sort of like the psalmist talking about the hills and the meadows. They shout for joy. They sing for joy. 
in Cedar and Handout, Paul is personifying non-human creation here to communicate that, that humanity's fall into sin had devastating effects on everything. Not only you and I. If you were to go back to Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and, and Eve have sinned, after he has said to them the curse of, I will put enmity between you and your husband, and, and, and childbirth will be greatly multiplied. Look at what he says in verse 17 of chapter 3 of, of Genesis. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. By the way, men, that's a good verse not to take out of context. And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed, listen, here it is. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust and you shall return to dust. Part of, part of the curse of, of Adam and Eve choosing their own wisdom and wanting to, be, wanting to be like God in a sense themselves, part of them, that curse was that creation has been marred. And creation is going to fight against you. And, and God alone, listen, God did that. This wasn't accidental. God did that. God alone had the power. God alone had the right to do that. He subjected creation to futility because of sin and as a reminder of sin. This was a divine decree. You know, your yard, when it bears forth weeds, we had to plant new grass out here and forgive the parking set. We're trying to help with the runoff and, and fix that up a little bit and, and parking this morning and, and even that, that exit way, it, it's... It's been a, a frustrating. Uh, nothing, is, nothing has worked out as planned. And so please be gracious as you leave and, and gracious as you were coming. We'll work it out. But your yard produces weeds. Your, your yard produces thorns, thistles. Your, your grass doesn't always grow the way it should. Your gardens don't always produce the crops as they should. The land is barren. All of that. Effects of sin. It's fighting back. And yet, and yet, what Paul does here is remind us that even, even God's judgment, this is the goodness of God, even God's judgment was not without a positive side. He says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, listen, that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is really, I, I, Bradley and I, we, after, we, we, I take my kids to school each day, and except for Friday, Karen takes Sarah on Friday, and um, we have conversations on the way to school, try to about the Bible and things like that, and Sometimes that conversation spills over into after Sarah's dropped off. And Bradley and I were talking about this actually this Monday, how almost always with God in the midst of judgment, he always offers hope. 
in the midst of God's judgment, he almost always at the same time offers hope. Even, even in Genesis 3, where God offers the curse due to sin, you have the first presentation here of the gospel. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Here it is. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Listen, Satan, you're, you're going to strike a blow. There's, from, this, from this woman and man, there's going to come a seed and you're going to strike a blow to that seed. You know what? But it won't be a death blow. He's going to kill you. You're going to wound the Savior. But listen, the Savior is going to kill you, Satan. He's going to destroy you. And, and in, the midst, in the midst of their falling into sin, in the midst of their choosing themselves over God, in the midst of them rebelling, in the midst of... Listen, they had one rule. One rule to follow. They failed. And in the midst of that, God offers the hope of redemption. And, and the hope, you see it in your handout, is that there is an end point to the suffering in the future. That, that's what we begin to look at in 18. The present sufferings, the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to a future glory. Future glory. There's an end point. That's our hope. And again, what is that end point? It's the revealing of the sons of God. It's the, in 19 and 21, it says the glory of the children of God. One day, we're going we're gonna to get rid of this sin nature. One day, believer, we're going to be fully transformed into the likeness of our Savior. But until that day, we've got to wait. Until that day, we've got to press on. Until that day, our hope has got to be in that day, not in the things of this earth. One day, we will be transformed. We will be revealed to be what we are now fully. We will get there. And even creation longs to go back to the, to the pre-curse, to the pre-sin garden atmosphere. One day, the promise is that the Lord will bring His purposes to their end, that our status, our full status of God's children will be fully realized, that God will redeem and renovate the earth back to its original created order. That's our hope. And that's what we see in verse 21. Creation, the creation itself will be, this is, where they, this is their hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see their handout, the content, the word there is content of our hope. Again, it's our glorification. That's our hope. It's the glory. That's what he said in 18. The present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is coming. There's coming a day when even the non-human elements of creation will be set free from sin, will be set free from the effects of sin. That is a promise. 
Again, this talks about, again, transformation, not, not annihilation. Creation groans for this. Look at 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. It's the anticipation. We talked about that last week. And the word here, specifically, he says to the creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth. It, the word there literally speaks to a time of distress that precedes the end of things. There's coming an end. Same thing, same pain as we said last week, as Daniel shared from John, of, of childbirth. The pain here is ultimately about the joy over here. You endure the pain here because there is the joy that is forthcoming here. And as, John, as Daniel read in John 16, you see it on your handout. We fight these times of distress and groaning with the hope and joy found in the promise that we sang about of ultimate victory. There, the, we don't fight for victory. We fight from the position of victory. It's promised. And, and that's what J Romans 8 is giving us the assurance. Go fight. Go fight sin. How do I fight? Knowing that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do, we, listen, the war has been won. Go fight the battles. If you lose a battle, know this, the war has been won. When you lose the battle to sin, remind yourself of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Tomorrow, if you lose the battle with sin, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Go fight. Listen, all around us we see the effects of this. We're sending 75 boxes down to, to Fort Lauderdale this afternoon that are going to be shipped to Bahamas. Because creation is not what it will be one day. Sin has marred it. And it's a, it's a reminder. Listen, when we see these things happen, when you go this afternoon, you walk by those boxes, I hope you'll walk by those 75 boxes again and pray for them. I hope you'll pray for the, for rather the people who are going to receive them. But I hope you'll be reminded of this. The effects and the consequences of sin are horrific. Be reminded. Sin is not a simple, casual thing. The effects of humanity's sin, the effects of our rebellion, the effects of, our, the, the effects of us choosing to be, wanting to be like God instead of simply submitting to God, of us wanting to determine what is right and wrong for ourselves instead of submitting to God and His infinite wisdom as to what is wrong, the effects of that sin are not benign. They are horrendous. And all of creation longs for our redemption. That's the hope. But, but again, Paul says not only does creation groan, starting in verse 23, you see on your handout, he says believers groan as they wait. We share in this groaning. We, we share in the groanings of, of hope. L listen to Colossians. Verse, chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, 
then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Is that not what we long for? That's the hope. You, you look at, at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He writes, Beloved, we, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And we talked about it last week. We live in that period right now, believer, between our justification having been declared righteous and our ultimate glorification. And you see it on your handout. The period between that can lead to a lot of frustration. Just like we talked about last week, a child who between point A when you leave your house and point B where you're going, that can be a very frustrating trip. Whether it's for our kids, whether it's 20 minutes from our house to Mima's house, or whether it's 13 hours to the mountains or somewhere else. Frustration. Are we there yet? We haven't even left Florida yet. Are we there yet? Listen, and I'll say to my kids sometimes, are we still in the car? Then clearly we're not there yet. We will get out of the car when we get there, I promise you. We, ain't just, we didn't drive just to sit in the car. So you know how to pray for Karen and my kids. I get, I get, I get, I have my patience sometimes for those questions. Like, are we there yet? No. That's frustrating. But listen, that frustration, Satan wants to take that frustration and make us anxious and worrisome over whether God's really going to do it or not. Sometimes the trip is so long that you begin to wonder, are we ever going to get there? And, and our full deliverance, listen to me, what Paul is writing here, again, under the context of assurance is this. Listen, no matter how long it takes, no matter what happens to you along the way, you will get there, believer. God will make sure of it. And in the meantime, listen, when you stumble, when you fall, when you, when, you, when you fall short, go back to Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, the, 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 the thing we've got to get through our head, heads and we've got to grasp is the truth of Romans 8, 18, the truth of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel doesn't make us immune to the effects of sin. We still feel the effects. And, and the, we, we still suffer all the affirmities of this world. Listen, I had conversations with many of you this week, grandkids that are sick, diagnosis, this and that. Listen, we know full well, just in this little group of people right here, we're not immune to the effects of sin and the effects of living in a fallen world. What the gospel does is give us hope in the midst of those. It doesn't make us immune to those. You know, a guy, one of, uh, I was talking just this morning with, with one of our members about this. The challenge for all of us is this. We live, as living in America, every single one of us in here, whether you want to believe it or not, have adopted at least parts of the prosperity gospel into our mindset. 
Every single one of us in here. You may not know it right now. Every single one of us, we're not immune to that. This is why Paul says it's not a hard thing to remind you of the gospel. This is why Paul takes 11 chapters to remind you of the gospel. This is why James in 2.1, he says, See to it that none of you adds to your faith the spirit of personal favoritism. As we journey along this voyage, here's what happens. If you're not careful, your faith and your doctrine can become polluted. And you can knowingly or unknowingly accept mistruths about the Bible into your doctrine. And so when something happens, suddenly we start thinking, oh, does God love me? Listen, the gospel never promised that you wouldn't suffer. That's just the reality. We're not immune to the effects of living in a fall. I wish I could say something else. And listen, there's a lot of churches out there, and there's people on the TV who are going to promise you something else. They're liars. What the gospel does is promise you that in spite of the suffering, nothing will separate you. We'll see this in verses 37 through 39 of Romans 8. In the gospel, you and I, believer, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us, that neither death nor life nor principalities nor things present nor things past nor things created nor any other created thing, nothing, this is the gospel, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the hope. That's the beauty of the gospel. That in spite of all of that, I will never ever be separated from God because of Jesus Christ. That's the hope. And, and again, Paul says, you've been given, he says, and not only this, we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, we even groan. Th that word first fruits, listen, as a believer... This is, the, this is the beauty. As a believer, we groan more. Why? Because we have the Spirit. We know better. We have been given a glimpse in this Bible of the hope. It's almost, it's one thing to be going somewhere that you've never seen, but it's another if you're going somewhere and you're reading the manual and the brochures and you've seen the pictures and you know full well where you're going. What does that do? That creates a greater anticipation because you've seen a glimpse. And the Holy Spirit being the first fruits, you know, we, we sense as never before what God wants us to be, right? So we even have a greater groaning. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4, or 1 through 6, really talks about God gave him this glimpse of heaven. And the first thing God did was give him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. But God gave him a glimpse. The, the, Spirit, the Spirit makes us super aware, not only of our sin, but of our relationship to God. And so there's this double tension there. So our groaning is even worse. And, and in the midst, of, I say worse, it's even stronger, maybe is a better word. There, it's stronger. This is what Paul battled with in Philippians 1. To, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. 
it would be far much better for me to die. And yet, if I linger on here, it will be much fruit for Christ. He says, I am hard-pressed on both ends as to which one to choose. Where did that come from? That was the Spirit in him. He knew what he had been promised. The, the word first fruits, you see it on the, this is about security. You see it on your handout. The word first fruits alludes to both the beginning of a process and the unbreakable connection of its end. It points back again to the Old Testament. The first fruits, the, the, first, the first pickings of that, of that harvest was an indication of what was to come. And we see that in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. He says, I give the Holy Spirit as a pledge. That word pledge literally means down payment. Listen, when you go into the bank and you're, you're buying a $200,000 home and you put $100,000 down as a down payment, what are you telling the bank? Hey, there's more to come, right? You're not walking, because if you walk away, guess what you walk away from? Your $100,000. You realize this? You realize who God would be walking away from, believer, if he walked away from you? Himself. He's put the Spirit in you as a promise. I'm coming back. And, and the very promise of that was given in the context of John 14 when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, and when I'm done, I'll come back. If it were not so, I would have told you. The Spirit was given to us to help us to wait and wait well and know why we wait, he's coming back. He's coming back. And, and you see what he's saying there. You see the security that we have in Christ. You, you see the assurance. God has sent his son to die for us. He has given his spirit to live in us. Do, do you really believe that God is going to back out on his salvation? I mean, Romans 8 through 1 through 30, he, go, he goes through this, and then we're looking at 8, 31 through 39. He simply, in my opinion, almost restates what he said. Look at verse 8, 31. Not that we're not going to study it again. Don't think we're getting out that easy. But he says, what shall we say to these things? If God, listen, if God is for us, who's against us? You can stop right there. You've got enough to chew on for the rest of your life. If God is for you, who's against you? If God did, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, listen, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He's not backing out. And part of our groaning, listen, Part of our groaning is because we have this glimpse. We have this first installment. The Spirit. We know that we're sons. We know that we're daughters. We can't wait to get to our destination. We've seen a glimpse. But yet we have to wait. And chapter 10 will tell us very clearly what we're to do while we wait. And you see in her handout, the, the result is this. The life of a Christian demands a need for a healthy balance. A balance in which the joy at the many blessings that we already possess should be set beside our frustrations at our failures and that yearning for that day when we'll fail no more. When we shall be like him. 
We wait in hope. We wait, as we said last week, patient with patient fortitude. It's like, it's like telling your kids, it's, it's like telling your kids you're, for the first time if they've never been, hey, we're going to Disney. And you put the tickets in their hand. Whole trip over there, you know what they're doing? What are they staring at? The tickets. You know what those tickets are? Those tickets are a picture. Listen, we've already made the down payment. We're going. We've already paid for it. Are you there yet? You're not, but you're going. We'll get to Orlando. We have believer. You have been saved. You have been adopted. But unfortunately, right now, you do not experience all of the blessings of that. That's that already not yet tension. And our final hope, you see it, the real hope for us is the redemption of our bodies. That is the transformation that awaits us. And the challenge for us, the challenge for every single one of us is to keep our hope there. To, to, to truly be satisfied there. And the challenge is while we wait, listen, if we're honest, the challenge is this. Jobs and money and spouses and achievement. That's where we begin to put our hope. If I could just get that better job, I'll be happy. If I could just make more money, I'll be happy. If I could just, if, if, if I could just find a spouse, I'll be happy. Oh, if I could just find a different spouse, I'll be happy. Listen, those are, Satan's lying. He's lying. That's not our hope. Listen, a discontented person, just because they get married, doesn't create a contented person. It makes a discontented married person, right? This is our hope. And we think if I had another job or had more money and, and all this, and, and, and in a sense, you know, Jesus spoke to that in John 4, and he talks to the woman at the well, and, and, and you know, he said, she says all this stuff about longing and satisfaction. He says, listen, you've had, the reality is this, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now ain't your husband. You know, he says to her, that's not where your sense of happiness is going to be. That's not where your satisfaction is going to be. I'm your living water. In me alone, you'll be satisfied. If we're not satisfied in Jesus Christ, listen, no job, no amount of money, no spouse, no record, nothing is going to make up for that. That's why at 1 Timothy 6, godliness with what? Contentment. You know what that is great gain? You know what that tells me? That you can be godly and discontent and it's not good gain. That's why he goes on to say, encourage those who have riches in this world, what? Not to fall in the trap of putting your what in them? Your hope in them. See what Satan, you see what the world wants? He wants us to put our hope in these things. Oh, if I just had more of that, I'd be happy. If I just had, listen, what we need is more understanding of the gospel. What we need is this bedrock truth of the gospel, richly dwelling it. What we need is the word, Colossians 3, 16, richly dwelling in us. This world is broken. You know it, creation knows it. And that sense of incompleteness and brokenness will not be satisfied until this life is over, until we shed 
the mortal for the immortal. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, looking not to what is seen, but what is unseen. Because that which is unseen, listen, is more real and eternal than that which you actually see. But this is guaranteed. And look, it took 24 and 25. But we don't see it yet. We've seen a glimpse. We've got all these promises of God. We've got the entire Old Testament that reminds us that God is faithful. We've got the entire New Testament that reminds us that God is faithful. That Jesus Christ is the once and all sufficient sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That nothing can separate us. Look at 24. But for in hope. Listen, in hope you have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. What's he telling us there? Hope. And it's a hope that you don't see. And, and even creation has been, us, you, us humans have been subjected to frustration and hope. And, and what is he saying there? You see it on your hand now. Biblical hope by its very nature means it, that expectant and patient waiting will be necessary. And we should be confident that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. But if we're not careful, listen, the frustrations and the difficulties along the journey can, if we're not careful, erase the image of the glory of God and erase the goodness of what we're waiting for. That's what Satan would want. In the midst of the waiting, for you to question the goodness of God. That's what he wants. And, and John Piper, li listen, to, listen to what he says. This is from DesiringGod.org. He writes this, If you think that somehow the suffering in this world is out of proportion to what is deserved... Meaning, if you think it's, it's not fair, if you think that, you're, that the suffering is out of proportion, if it's not fair, then you do not grasp the infinite holiness of God, nor the unspeakable outrage of sin against this holy God. God's judgment on the entire creation as seen in all of history's horrible tragedies reveals how horrific our sin is to Him. Piper adds, But in fact... The point of our miseries, our futility, our corruption, our groaning is to teach us the horror of sin and the preciousness of the redemption and hope that we have in Christ. Thank God he sent a Savior. Amen? So how can we wait? The question, and you looked at it last week a little bit in your, in your grow groups. You see it on your handout. We wait with patient fortitude, confident because our hope is rooted in none other than God himself. God's character is at stake. You know, we're, we're not finished products. You think about it. When, when, when you go somewhere, when you do something, and you, tip, you pile all your kids in the car, and you say, come on, we're going, and they ask you a million questions, they want to, guess what are you really asking them to trust in? Trust me. Trust your parents. Trust your mom and dad that we love you, that we're for you, we're not tricking you. Listen, trust me. When we get there, it'll be worth it.
Isn't that essentially what we do as parents? I think that's exactly what God is doing here. Believer, child of God, one who has been adopted through the blood of Jesus. Trust your father. Your sanctification is a long journey. It is a marathon. And, and listen to something that I've battled with this, whether it's me as a, a pastor, and, and listen, knowing that I stand up here every, every Sunday, knowing that throughout the week you guys can listen to the MacArthur's of the world and the Pipers of the world and, and all these guys that have been preaching for 35 years and these guys who I read their books, and I'm like, these guys are listening to them, and then they come here, and, I'm, and, and if I'm not careful, I can forget the promises of God and all these things myself, and I... One day I was battling with that, and listen to what the Lord reminded me of. And this is, I'm not saying it was some audible weird, I'm not trying to be weird here, but this is what I felt in my heart. The Lord said this, Chris, you may not be where you want to be, but it doesn't mean that where you are is a bad place. You are in the process of being renewed into the image of Christ, and that takes time. And I thought about this. When, we, when you go, we like to go up to the mountains and get away and go to places where my cell phone doesn't work. And, and uh, um, you know, all along we go through these cities. And, and those aren't the cities we want to be in, ultimately, right? But you've got to go through those cities in order to get to the ultimate city, right? Listen. Where you are right now may not be where you want to be, but listen, brother, listen, sister. God's taking you through that city on a, on a journey to get you to the ultimate city. And he's with you in that city just like he'll be with you forever in the ultimate city. And you've got to go through those places. And in the process of that, listen, God is forming you and forming me into the image of his son. And unless you go through those places, you'll miss the formation. You'll miss the sanctification. But listen, here's the other beauty. If you were to look at a big, huge map, and our kid, if our kids, for instance, are frustrated and they're saying, hey, why are we here? You know what? I, not that anybody uses maps anymore. What you would do is you pull out your phone and you'd scroll out on your phone so you can see a bigger picture. The beauty of maps is this. It has this green line or blue line, whatever color it is, from Tampa to wherever. And then it shows this little dot of where my car is. You know what? We can show our kids, hey, this is where we're going. This is where we are. You know what, guys? You know what being on the blue line means? We're exactly where we're supposed to be. You know what this word tells me every day? Chris, you're exactly where you need to be. Not that I'm perfect. I'm, I'm doing something in you. And you may not be where you want to be, guys. But God's taking you through there to get you to where he wants you to be. And we groan, you know. But God has showed us, he has graciously showed us a glimpse of the end. And in the end, listen, we win. It's like watching a game that, you know, uh, we went to a chorus concert for Brad the other night. And, you know, after Bradley's group sang, I started watching the Rays game. Forgive me, but... Um, you know, I, and I know what the score was, and I was, I was paying attention, but I also had the score there on my phone, and afterwards, I told John, I said, man, how about the Rays? They had a rough first inning, and John's like, I'm taping it. I didn't, you know, well, skip to about the third inning. <laughs> Let me tell you how it goes. 
Listen, if you know what the score is, you don't worry when your team fumbles. You don't worry when your team throws an interception. You don't worry that your team is down and going to lose 45 to 14. Thank you, Seminoles. Because you've seen the score. God, God showed us the end. We win. One day you will be like him. And, and don't become anxious or depressed in the trials and lose hope. Because when we do that, we're forgetting the absolute certainty of the outcome. Future glory with Christ. Yes, there is present sufferings. We live in a fallen world, but God has promised future glory. Keep that in view. Talk, go to your grow groups today and talk about that. Talk about how we can help each other wait. Talk about how this is a community endeavor. Talk about, talk about that, that the right attitudes, even towards our world. How do we rightly steward God's creation in the meantime? Think about how we encourage somebody with these passages who may be lost hope or struggling in their hope. Think about how you would use this truth to, to speak to the hope that we as a believer have if maybe your neighbor who is a non-believer needs hope. This is what Jesus offers. Talk about how we prepare ourselves to prepare ourselves to face trials. Don't wait till you get in the trial. Be confident in who God is today so that when you go through that trial, you're ready. When your world falls apart, that is not the time to start trying to figure out what you believe about God. And, and you see it lastly, the comfort of these verses is that God is not immune to our suffering. But in the midst of it, he provides hope. Listen, God's not immune to our suffering. That's why he's given us the hope of the gospel. That's why he's given us a glimpse. 